Chapter Twenty Two of From Tangier to Tripoli by Frank G. Carpenter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Betty B. Where the women wear trousers. According to the Koran, every Muslim has the right to four wives upon earth, and when he goes to heaven, he will receive in addition seventy two black eyed houris, ever beautiful and ever young there he will have children or not according to his wish and the offspring will grow in an hour to the stature of their parents the prophet himself is said to have had about twenty wives while on earth when he died he left nine each of whom had her own house not far from the mosque at medina mohammed started out by marrying a widow named khadijah whose money gave him his first boost into prominence he was about twenty-five years old at the time and one of the finest-looking young beaux of Arabia. Khadijah was forty, and it is alleged that it was she who popped the question. He lived with her for twenty-five years, during which time he took no other wife. A month after she died, however, he was betrothed to a girl of seven, who became his wife two or three years later. This second wife was the beautiful Aisha, whom to the day of his death he preferred above all others these facts form the basis of the mohammedan's idea of marriage he believes that the prophet had the right to more wives than his followers because he was favored of god and there was a chance that he might generate a race of prophets to succeed him though this chance failed the moslem still sticks to the limit of only four wives and the arab judges of tunisia and algeria will not recognize as legal any more than that number the french in algeria who are now trying to cut down the size of the harem will not allow such of the arabs as become naturalized to have more than one legal helpmate i heard of a young man in oran the son of a sheik who thought that it would be fine to be a french citizen he took out his papers and shortly thereafter wanted to marry as he already had one wife the license was refused upon this he became disgusted and said he wanted to be a pure arab once more down in Fagig, on the edge of Morocco, I was told that it is the custom for the Moor of that region to marry at eighteen or twenty years of age, taking a wife of thirteen or fourteen. About ten years later, he adds another young maiden of the same age to his household. When he gets to be forty, he takes a third spouse, and at fifty, a fourth, so that he always has one young wife to wait upon him throughout his earthly career. As the new wives come, the older ones step back and act as their servants. But with the advancement of modern civilization, these plural marriages are steadily decreasing in number. This is true in all Mohammedan cities. Here in Tunis, most of the natives have but one wife, while in all the cities of Algeria, monogamy is becoming the rule. One reason for this is the fact that the cost of living is always increasing and the women demand more and more. They are patterning after the French ladies in their tastes, until now it is only the rich man who can keep more than one wife. Moreover, where several wives are thrown together under the same roof and in the same quarters, there is sure to be discord, so that it means both peace and economy to have only one. The Arab women of the better classes are a dead load on their husbands, for they are seldom more than children in character. They have no real education and they must have servants or slaves to wait upon them. The husband is expected to furnish a dower for each wife, and if he is rich, he must give from two to ten thousand dollars to get her. This money goes to the girl's family, 
and a quartet of wives thus paid for requires a large sum with people less rich the dowries are smaller but every husband must pay something for his wife even down to the porter although the latter may get his bride for five or ten dollars as a rule the mohammedan husband makes his matrimonial investments after the old fashion of buying a pig in a poke marriages are made at an early age girls wed at fifteen or sixteen and young men at twenty or twenty-five there is no such thing as courtship the matches being usually arranged by the parents of the respective families in a marriage among wealthy families there are always preliminary presents and rites the groom sends dates and other fruits to his sweetheart and the prospective bride puts herself into training in order that she may look her best at the wedding she takes frequent steam baths and for a week before the marriage has one every day at the same time her cheeks are painted with rouge and her fingernails toenails and even her feet and the lower parts of her arms and legs are decorated with henna a red coloring matter in common use throughout the orient while i was in tangier i saw a number of wedding processions the ceremony usually takes place on friday the moslem sabbath and consists chiefly in the couples joining hands while prayers are said over them on her wedding day the bride is carried about in a covered chair or box on the shoulders of the slaves amid music and dancing her girlfriends keep her company and there is a wedding feast which lasts almost all night this is followed by other feasts throughout the next week or more i am told that a moorish husband's first duty is to unbraid his wife's hair and that thereafter she puts on the special dress of the married woman the ordinary mohammedan marriage is i understand moderately happy it is said that the stronger character usually rules the household divorces are easily accomplished in all mohammedan countries where a man can get rid of his superfluous wives far more easily than the american can divorce his only one in idaho or nevada there are now in algeria every year almost half as many divorces as there are marriages all that a mohammedan has to do to secure a separation is to point his wife to the door and say i divorce you i divorce you i divorce you and out she goes it is not much better with the tunisian jews the chief difference being that the moslem has the right to four wives while the jew can have but one there is no place on earth where the females are so much secluded there are millions in north africa who are never seen by any other men than their husbands in the city of tunis the ladies of the wealthier classes never go out on the street except in closed carriages they know nothing about shopping and never visit the bazaars or stores the carriages are brought into the courtyard of their homes and after they have been put in by their servants and the doors tightly closed the grooms come out and hitch up the horses if they are calling upon a lady friend the carriage is taken into the courtyard restricted to the women of the household where the horses are unharnessed so that the men may take them away before the ladies step out every fine mohammedan house has its harem the rooms are built around courts there being usually one court for the men and another for the women in the latter only the master of the house is permitted to enter and in less pretentious homes a male visitor will always make himself heard before he comes in so that the women may flee the women have their own private staircases to the roofs which are their special quarters these are usually flat and form the loafing and gossiping places for the feminine part of the household they are surrounded by walls so that one cannot see the girls at all from the street 
in tunis the women of the middle classes go out so wrapped up in veils that not a bit of their faces is to be seen over their heads they have long scarves that fall to their knees these scarves are black embroidered with red and white stripes and so thick that it is impossible to see through them the wearers hold them up with their hands as they walk looking out for a step at a time they sometimes wear shawls over the veils as such women seldom visit the stores if they are seen on the street they are probably on their way to the mosque or to the cemeteries or to visit their friends the women of the poorer classes look stranger still they dress in white garments of cotton or wool which cover the whole of their persons excepting their faces the latter are wrapped around with a thick black crepe in which two holes are cut out for the eyes in the distance they look like the blackest of negroes with features wrinkled like a washboard as they come closer their veils are seen to be masks and their bright dark eyes shine out of the surrounding blackness the woman of algiers generally wears a wide white band across her face to conceal it sometimes a veil of white is fastened tightly over the bridge of the nose the upper part of the face being hidden by the bayek or blanket-like shawl common all over the country in morocco and in western algeria the woman holds her bayek tight over her face leaving a little three-cornered hole not much bigger than a finger ring out of which one eye peeps as she goes waddling along it is impossible to see how the fair sex is dressed in morocco when they go out in the streets they bundle themselves up in blankets so that they look like bags walking on slippers in algeria and tunisia nearly every female wears trousers of some kind with the overgarments so arranged that the pantaloons can be easily seen they are worn enormously full and are tied in at the instep or at the calf the bayek or head shawl does not fall far below the waist and these trousers are one of the features of the afternoon parade in the rue bab azun the breeches of the arab women in tunisia are somewhat more hidden but those of the jewesses are always in evidence it is only for the streets that the arab woman dons these very full trousers which are removed as soon as she comes home in the house she affects loose knee pants made of silk or china crepe in addition she has on a chemise which is tucked into her trousers and above this a jacket of brocaded silk she wears a silk sash wrapped about her waist and may have several vests of gay colors fastened with bright buttons her headdress consists of a small velvet cap which comes to a point over the crown and on her feet are slippers embroidered with gold all african women are fond of jewelry and the well-to-do mohammedan girls have their necklaces of pearls earrings of precious stones and bracelets and anklets of gold the poorer ones wear silver while those who have nothing will load themselves down with brass indeed i am surprised at the number of ornaments which even the common arab girls wear little tots of six and seven have heavy silver rings on their ankles and gold rings as big around as the saucer of an after-dinner coffee cup not only in the lobes of their ears but also in the ear rims all along to the top the bedouin girl especially adorns herself lavishly and frequently carries the wealth of her whole family on her person the kabyle woman covers her breast with jewelry and often wears enormous earrings and anklets and pins which will weigh a pound or more each one reason why the women are so bedecked is the fact that the men don't like to put their money in banks preferring to turn their surplus into ornaments for their wives and daughters 
during my trip into the western desert i had to spend a night in a first-class car with a rich arab chief and his wife and their two little girls when the woman came in she was so bundled up that one could tell nothing about her clothes as the night wore on however her overgarments were thrown back and i observed that she dressed like the queen of sheba in her glory she had half a dozen bracelets on each of her arms her fingers sparkled with diamonds and there were great gold rings in the sides and lobes of her ears on her head was a little cornucopia cap of red velvet embroidered with gold and she wore a spangled shirtwaist over a white chemise of fine wool she was tattooed on chin forehead and cheeks her lips were painted with rouge her fingers stained red with henna and her eyelids blackened with coal i have spoken already of the fair-skinned kabyle women of eastern algeria as a rule the kabyle husband has but one wife and the women are allowed to go about as they please their ordinary dress is a gown that reaches from the neck to the feet and is fastened at the shoulder with a great pin of silver or white metal on ceremonial occasions they wear gowns of bright red and yellow stripes strapped in at the loins with belts of bright colored leather they sometimes wear a headdress of black silk but their feet are usually bare since the jewish men think a woman beautiful according to her amount of flesh a likely hebrew girl of three hundred pounds or so has no trouble in getting a husband as a maiden approaches the marriageable age she is stuffed much after the manner of a strasbourg goose destined for pate de foie gras the jewesses have their own way of eating to increase their fat and their own foods for putting on weight one of our agricultural department experts tells me that they use a certain grain which surpasses any that we have in its fattening qualities and also that the department expects to introduce this grain into the united states if so it will be a boon to our thin scrawny girls who worry because they cannot rise in avoir du poids i have before me a photograph of the two biggest jewesses of tunis who are simply mountains of flesh one of them weighs more than four hundred pounds these jewesses have the homeliest costumes i have ever seen upon women both on the street and at home they wear breeches over which are short loose sacks falling to the waist some of them have their trousers loose about the hips and tight at the calves and others wear them equally full all the way down loading them with embroidery of silver and gold some pairs of breeches are made entirely of gold thread and i hear of money lenders daughters who have trousers that cost two hundred dollars a pair as such garments are reserved for home use they are not to be seen on the streets other girls have pantaloons of velvet loaded with bands of gold and silver a girl thus carrying a whole fortune on her trousers they all wear jewelry coming out on public occasions or fete days in pearls and diamonds and gold without limit the jewish men dress like the arabs the majority of the women have what we call brunette complexions although there is no sign of the mulatto about them they have black hair beautiful eyes and not infrequently prominent hebrew noses some of them are pretty but more are not and with their outlandish costumes the homely ones are about the ugliest of their sex the jewesses marry young a girl is often wedded at twelve and she becomes a mother at fourteen or fifteen marriages are usually preceded by a contract in which there is often a forfeit put up against divorce if the man does not carry out his contract he has to pay damages while in the case of divorce he usually gives back half the property 
which his wife brought him a divorced wife also gets an allowance if his wife has no children the tunisian jew has the right to add a second wife to his family and a dead man's brother is expected to marry his sister-in-law even if he is married already i am told that marriages sometimes occur between uncles and nieces and that families combine to keep the fortunes in their own clan as far as possible about a week before the wedding the public festivities begin and from that time on the girl has to go through a number of ceremonies without power of resistance the older women of the family take possession of her they first put her in a bath where her body is covered with an ointment which when dry is peeled off leaving the skin perfectly clean and as soft as when she was born her hair is then anointed with jet black pomatum which gives it a gloss her eyelids are blackened and her eyebrows are penciled and joined by a thick line of red paint at the same time her fingernails are covered with henna and even her toenails are made red these jewish marriages are usually made by the rabbis at the house of the bride here the rabbi puts the young couple under a veil and directs the groom how to put the ring upon the bride's finger after marriage the woman becomes to a large extent the servant of her husband if she is poor she cooks the meals and no matter how well off her husband is she is expected to make his bed and wait upon him she always eats at a second table for in the ordinary jewish household of tunis there are always two meals the first of which is for the men notwithstanding these customs the course of true love runs as smoothly over the caravan tracks of sahara as it does along the automobile roads of the united states i am told that many of the marriages of mohammedans kabyles jews and bedouins are happy ones and the literature of all of them has its love stories and its love songs one of the most beautiful poems written by bayard taylor was the love song of a bedouin whether or not it was an english rendering of something he heard in his travels i do not know it reads from the desert i come to thee on a stallion shod with fire and the winds are left behind in the speed of my desire under thy window i stand and the midnight hears my cry i love thee i love but thee with a love that shalt not die till the sun grows cold and the stars are old and the leaves of the judgment book unfold look from thy window and see my passion and my pain i lie on the sands below and i faint in thy disdain let the night winds touch thy brow with the heat of my burning sigh and melt thee to hear the vow of a love that shall not die till the sun grows cold and the stars are old and the leaves of the judgment book unfold my steps are nightly driven by the fever in my breast to hear from thy lattice breathe the word that shall give me rest open the door of thy heart and open thy chamber door and my kisses shall teach thy lips the love that shall fade no more till the sun grows cold and the stars are old and the leaves of the judgment book unfold the jews here are very particular in their religious observances their shops are shut up on saturday and their wives do not cook or sweep on that day they are also devoted to one another and a jewish funeral with its accompanying mourning is one of the remarkable things to be seen in tunis the jewish cemeteries are nothing like ours they have no tall monuments the vaults which are dug out so that the tops rest even with the surface of the earth are covered with marble slabs of the same size and height so that the whole surface of the cemetery appears to be one great marble floor upon each slab are carved 
Hebrew characters, giving the names and ages of those who lie below. When the women go out to mourn, they sit down on the slabs over their dead and bob up and down as they wail out their grief. I visited one of the largest of these cemeteries this afternoon. Its marble floors seemed to be spotted with white tents, but as I got closer I could see that each of these was a Jewish woman shrouded in white, mourning her dead. There was a chapel at one end of the graveyard from which came a great noise. I entered and found that a funeral was being conducted. In one room was a coffin standing upright against the wall, and beside it on the stone floor lay the corpse of a man covered by a sheet of bright red silk. About him were a number of Jewish men in Arab clothing weeping softly, while in the next room were the hired mourners, who were brought in for such occasions at so much per wail. These mourners were Jewish women, ranging in age and size from a plump maid of eighteen to a weighty old lady of sixty or more. They numbered fifteen, and I venture to say they would pull down the scales at a ton and a half. They sat on the marble floor with their feet under them, and swaying back and forth, bowed their heads to the ground as they fairly howled out a chorus for which the fat old lady kept time. As the mourners saw me making a note, the wailing subsided for a moment, but when one of the bereaved family came in, it burst out louder than ever. Such mourners are common in all Oriental countries, and they are employed here by the Arabs as well as the Jews. End of chapter 22